You're listening to the IBSC Living History Project. I'm Tom Batty, IBSC Executive Director, and it's a privilege to be back with you to introduce the second part of this podcast series that tracks our history through the reflections of those who brought the coalition to being and shaped our journey. In part one, Bruce Collins spoke with Rick Melvoin about the early years of IBSC. In this second part, Bruce continues this conversation with John Farber, who, in his years as Director of Admissions and Financial Aid at Belmont Hills School in the United States, was instrumental in facilitating a meeting of people committed to the vision and mission of boys' schools. John brought people together, cemented our global foundation, and got the ball rolling. And the fruits of his pioneering spirit can be seen today in the global connections we enjoy in our work together across the globe in support of boys' schools and, of course, those they serve. John Farber has nearly 40 years of independent school experience, with more than 20 years as a head of school. He is well known to the independent school community for his skills in board governance, strategic thinking, fundraising and personnel management. He currently serves as the Managing Director of RG175. John was Head of School at Old Trails School for 17 years and South Kent School for four years. He served as Director of Admissions and Financial Aid at Belmont Hill School and was Director of Development and Admissions at Darrow School. He started teaching at Winston School in Dallas, where he was also Outdoor Education Director. He also taught science and history at Landmark School north of Boston and was Assistant Director of Admissions at Landmark in Putney. John served an 11-year term as board member of the Independent Schools Association of the Central States, including three years as board chair, and was president of the Cleveland Consortium of Independent Schools and a board member of the Ohio Association of Independent Schools. He was a board member of the Connecticut Association of Independent Schools and, importantly for us, was a co-founder and executive vice president of the IBSC. John, it is a pleasure to welcome you back to the IBSC fold to enlighten with your insight and reflections. I add my thanks to those of us all for your participation in this project and your willingness to share your IBSC memories. Well, it's wonderful to be talking to John Farber today, someone else who's going to give us some wonderful insights into what the early years of IBSC were like as the organization was established. John, thank you so much for your time and for joining us for this conversation. Oh, well, thank you, Bruce. I think it's this is a great project, and I'm thrilled that you're doing it. Well, let's launch right in, I think, and uh, speak about those early years. And particularly, um, I think it would be wonderful to start off with your involvement in establishing the coalition and in your recollection, how that sort of birthed and took place. Well, it's uh, we're going back a few years. So uh, it was probably one of the most exciting projects I've ever worked on. So let, let me give you some background. Um, in 1991, I was hired by Belmont Hill School in Boston to be their director of admissions and financial aid. 
Um, exciting position. I grew up in Boston. I knew the school. Was really thrilled to be a part of it. Interestingly enough, when I got there, we were involved in a strategic planning process. And one of the subcommittees of the planning process was one that was looking at whether or not Belmont Hill would remain a school for boys or if it would look at co-education as an option. So this was all happening in my first year. And I have a lot of people coming to me within the school saying, hey, don't let them change our school. You know, come on, build up admissions. We'll get this thing going. We really want to stay a boys, a school for boys. Um, I had some seniors come and talk. They were probably the most passionate um, senior boys coming and talking to me about why a boys school. And I had never been in a single gender school before as a student or as a professional. So I was asking lots of questions. What are the advantages? I've got to market this place. Um, numbers were down just a little bit, but there was great growth potential in expanding the marketplace for Belmont Hill. And I was really interested in doing it. Now, Greater Boston had some very strong girls schools, some very strong boys schools, but from the girls were flourishing. Um, their coalition was had taken off. Now, what was great for me was Meg Moulton, who was their co-director of the Girls' School Coalition, was 15 minutes for me. And she was actually really instrumental in helping to guide me once I determined that we needed to form an organization much like the Girls' Schools. So that really came after a discussion. I reached out to Ed Kowalczyk. And Ed was the longtime director of admission and financial aid at the Hill School, which, for one reason or another, has gone co-ed since then. But at the time, it was one of the preeminent boys' schools. And Ed had been there a while, and he was a terrific spokesperson for the advantages or perceived advantages of schools for boys. So I went down and saw him. Um, had a wonderful time. And I said, you know, I really think we ought to organize a group of schools that are for boys, much like the girls schools have done. And I had researched and built a list. Now, this is before, you know, Google, the internet was really flourishing. So I had to, I had to do a lot of deep dives and, and go to a lot of sources to get lists of boys schools. And there were many, many more than I anticipated uh, within the United States. And then if you looked internationally, it was huge. So he and I agreed um, that we would try and put together that summer. So this was the early fall. We would put together that summer a group of admissions people from schools for boys to come together at the Hill School and really share stories and share anecdotes and share strategies for marketing our schools because boys schools were going co-ed. So we did that. Um, this is, you know, there was a lot of detail in between that first meeting and that next summer, but we had about 50 people come to the Hill School. We stayed in the dorms. Peter Relic was one of our keynote speakers. He was the president of NAIS. I had gone to see him. Um, we wanted to have a couple of keynotes. Um, in, in between, Ed and I attended um, at the invitation of Tony Jarvis and Rick Hawley, we attended the Boys School Conversation. That organization still exists. And those are, I think, pretty high academically minded day schools for boys. 
And, you know, Belmont Hill was a part of that. So I went with my head. Uh, Rick, uh, actually, it was Chris Wadsworth um, who preceded Rick. And we presented our idea to those folks. Um, when we were there, we met a gentleman named John Bednall, who was from Australia. He ran a school in Southern Australia, and he was incredibly articulate about why boys' schools. And we invited him to come to our summer conference to talk to these admissions people, and he did. And we didn't have any money. So he, he flew at his own expense. He came over. He met with us. He was a grand slam. Because what he did is he helped everyone get excited about that we should really do this. And if we do it, it should be international right from the get-go. Um, so it was. So we went from that summer meeting. Ed and I went into full production mode. Um, it, it was not, you know, the coalition had not been formally organized. But we started calling ourselves the Boys School Coalition. Uh, the International Boys School Coalition. And then we went from there and I realized we weren't going to go anywhere if we didn't get the heads involved and excited. So I um, identified Rick Hawley as my top target for um, getting him involved. Reason being, he was at the university school in here in Cleveland, but he was the one person who was writing about boys' schools. Um, he had a national and international reputation for his writing. He's a published author. And I thought, you know, let's go after the kingfish, right? So um, I went and saw him at his school. He loved the idea. He remembered me from the boys' school conversation. He was actually uh, extremely encouraging for us to put the groundwork into making this happen. So then we decided that Belmont Hill would host the next conference the following summer, which we did. And that was Rick Melvoin's first month on the job. <laughs> so I said, Rick, welcome to Belmont Hill. We're going to be hosting a conference of 250 boys school educators from all over. Are you okay with that? <laughs> anyway, he was, he was very encouraging. And Chris was there as well. So what I knew I had to do is I had to put forth, I had to find some intellectuals. I had to find some researchers. I had to find some professionals who could bring credibility so that when I had these great school heads in the room, I've got people speaking to them that are incredibly credible. And the first person, you know, I was blessed because I was in Boston. So Dr. Cornelius Reardon was at the university, was Providence College. And he was the only one to write a research-based dissertation on the advantages of single-sex schools, particularly for boys. Uh, he showed, you know, academic um, expectation and, and achievement was increased. Um, really interesting, kind of a little bit of a dry book. But Neil was a really good guy, and he had he had a passionate interest in this. So he was one of our speakers for the conference. Another speaker was a gentleman named Dr. William Pollock, and Bill Pollock um, was at um, the McLean Hospital, so he's a clinical psychiatrist, and he was at McLean Hospital 10 minutes away from Belmont Hill. I went over, uh, he had published a book on boys. 
I went over, met with him, talked to him about what I was trying to do. He got extremely excited. And here's a Harvard-oriented medical researcher, really interested in boys. He was our major keynote speaker in the afternoon. And I will tell you that his presentation sealed all the heads. They all, I mean, Rick Pauley, Tony Jarvis, Rick Melvoin, and all the others were like, wow, we can do this. We didn't want this to be a gathering of people just banging the drum and say, go boys schools. We wanted this to have authenticity. It, it needed, we needed to be able to tell a story that was research-based and was real, that there are advantages for educating boys separately. And Bill Pollock delivered that in a big way. Now, the other thing I was able to do is I was able to go see Dr. David Reisman at Harvard University, who was the first researcher on the advantages of single-sex schools for boys. He was 84. I went down and met with he and his wife in their apartment, and I invited him to be our lunchtime speaker. He hadn't spoken in 20 years, and he was so excited. When I showed him the list of the schools that would be attending, he got so excited. And he came over and delivered a lunchtime address, and it was wonderful. Um, remember that really well. I had to go and pick him up. I had to take he and his wife home. He wouldn't come and speak if his wife couldn't be there. It was awesome. It was really cool. And so we had there we had Rick Hawley kicked off the conference. Then we had, you know, we had Bill Pollock, we had David Reisman. Um, we had these wonderful folks. I also set up a meeting and talked Tony Jarvis, who was the head, longtime head at Roxbury Latin. I talked Tony into hosting the heads. And it was midday. And I said, look, we need to authenticate this organization. And I'd like you to put forward the motion that we form the International Code Boys Schools. And he did, because I knew it would take a strong person to do it. I had met with Rick Hawley again a few times. Rick agreed to be the first president. Uh, he says, you're making me president without a board. I said, we'll get to the board, but I need a leader. And you're it. <laughs> so came the first president. Tony made the motion amongst the heads that we formed the coalition, and it was formed. Um, and we had a series of breakout sessions. It was a great conference. There were about 250 people there. Um, and that's where and when it took off. Um, you know, they don't acknowledge the Hill School Conference as the first conference. And, and technically it wasn't because we weren't officially an organization. But that's how it started. It started with a groundswell of admissions people saying we really need this. We need better information to share with families as to why boy school is a viable option for their sons. So that's, that's how it all began. When you talk about boys' schools wrestling with whether to go co-ed or not, what were some of the forces at play that made it important for you as admissions directors, as heads of boys' schools to get together and, 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 and have these important conversations? What were some of the, the, the challenges that boys' schools were facing in the late 80s and early 90s? Oh, clearly it was declining enrollment. Um, and I also think there was a big, you know, through the 70s, there was a huge movement uh, for co-ed schools. You know, there are a lot of great schools, great co-ed schools that started as single-sex schools or their mergers between a boy's school and a girl's school. I mean, that list is huge. Um, 
I, I think it was the enrollment, you know, the pool, the demographics, um, you know, peaks and valleys. We've always had peaks and valleys in the admission cycle. Uh, it's often related to demographics, regional, local demographics. In the case of boys, uh, boarding schools, it's it's national, international demographics. But there was a real um, threat amongst all of us that we're going to have to go co-ed to keep the enrollment up in our schools. And there were a lot of people, there was a lot of kind of anti-single-sex schooling for boys, not for girls. The Girls Coalition was really taking off and bringing to light a lot of research on the benefits of single-sex schooling for girls. And the boys were left standing there, which is kind of like boy development, right? I mean, boys are behind girls in development. And Meg and I always used to tease each other. I said, Meg, you know, we are a couple few years behind you guys. Um, and I think that you know, that was really the driver was not only enrollment, but we needed to tell a better story. We needed to tell the story of why these schools, why it's important for boys schools to exist and what some of the perceived benefits are, and then use those benefits to educational advantage. So one, I'll never forget this. We had a librarian at the Hill School Conference. Um, I think it might have been the Hill School Librarian, but there are a few librarians that were there because they, too, were curious and wanted to be able to talk about this. And, and the woman told me, she goes, you know, John, um, the best way to get boys to read is through biography. And I said, what? She goes, well, think back to your days of starting to read. What did you start reading? Well, I was a slow reader. And my dad started giving me baseball cards and I started reading baseball cards and off we went. Then I started reading magazines and then I nailed biographies. I loved sports biographies. I probably read all of them in those days. And she said that she sees boys getting really excited when they pick up a biography. They love heroes. And so she stocked her library with tons of biographies and boys reading went way up. That's just one little example. And so we started getting the educators together and say, what do you do for boys that's different? And, you know, a lot of women work in boys' schools, and a lot of women and men that work there also worked in co-ed settings. And then they come to boys' schools, and they, they really sensed a difference, and we tried to pull that out. What is the difference? What, what makes it a perceived advantage? Or... What are the disadvantages that we need to fix? And what are those aspects of boys' schools that might not be as positive as others? And how do we make them better? So it really created an active discussion amongst boys' school educators that I think has made boys' schools a lot better. And I suppose those conversations would, would also then drive a narrative that challenges the perception that people might have had about single gender education, you know, as, as you were able to highlight the positives and the reasons why a boys school is good for, for many boys. Absolutely. You know, and, and we started to articulate those. And then when, with the creation of websites, a lot of boys schools were putting, you know, advantages of boys schools or reasons for boys schools. Um, so it, it helped us tell the story, frame the story and tell the story in much better ways. Um, you know, back, and a lot of people had negative perceptions of school for boys um, because there was a toughness and there was kind of a military-like perception of schools for boys. Oh, you send a boy that's in trouble to a boy school. No, um, there's, there's 
you know, there's a gentleness and a social openness of boys who have been in school for boys. The friendships got deeper. Um, and, you know, I, I think there are some dis- distinct advantages. So if you had to think back, I know you said earlier on it's a, a number of years back, but after that Belmont Hill conference, um, what, are, what are some of the highlights and achievements of the organization that you remember as, as significant? Well, the numbers grew every year. I mean, Ed and I were just blown away. Um, you know, I think we had 200 at Belmont. So we had about 50 at the Hill School. We went from there to about 200 at Belmont Hill. I think some of that was location. I think some of that was the buzz that was out there that we're really doing this. And we brought a lot of heads. So another thing we did is we did a huge phone campaign to get the heads of school to join us in Boston. Uh, This is happening. Uh, Be a part of it. You know, that kind of thing. We reached out to a lot of international schools. We had a number of them there. Um, And that really got the ball rolling. I would say what's most gratifying uh, particularly just coming out of the Dallas conference of St. Mark's. Uh, I was like, wow. Uh, never did I imagine in my wildest dreams it would be so many schools from all over the world and 500, 550 at a conference that I was told was small. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. This is amazing. But the other thing that was amazing to me, Bruce, was the fact that a lot of people were so articulate as to why this is good, why this is important, and how much they enjoy coming together once a year to meet their colleagues from all over the world and talk about their special schools. That's that's probably the most gratifying. It seems to me, John, just as you've spoken about this, that's what started um, out of need, but also was was heavily based on relationship and relational connection is something that we've held on to as an organization. You know, if, as you've mentioned, you speak to people who have been involved in any of the IBSC programs. The thing they often talk about is how important their relational connection is with global colleagues and how much they are willing to engage with and learn from each other. And it seems like that initial value that you all had in, in that starting group, in that first gathering of 50 people has even though we've grown, we've managed to keep that uh, relational aspect of things, which is so important. Well, that's why we got going, Bruce. That was, you know, one was to really help, you know, build, build the purpose, build, build the argument, why boys schools. And then secondly, was to build contacts around the globe. Um, and it was really, I got to, I got to credit John Bednall was really the one who emphasized to us, don't just make this domestic U.S. schools globalize it and that was a lot harder to do back then we didn't we didn't have zoom (laughs) we didn't have you know email was just taken off um it was significantly harder you know it was actually it was coincidental it was the first year i was married so this is 33 years ago we and and uh i actually have that number right (laughs) and we uh I had spread out all over, we had this little apartment and all over the living room floor was all the boys school stuff because that's how you had to do it. I didn't have internet to go to. So I had to copy things off at my office and bring them home, different lists of schools, where are the boys schools I was calling. You know, I went to the National Catholic Educational Association in DC. I went to NEIS multiple times. Um, There were other directories of private schools. You know, Porter Sargent's was 
available at that time, huge resource for me. Peterson's Guides, huge resource for me. Those folks, uh, Porter Sargent Publisher and Peterson Guide Publishers were at the Belmont Hill Conference. Um, we invited some members of NEIS. So we wanted to pull a few more people in to help us tell the story and help spread the word that, you know, what boys schools have arrived. Uh, we're here. You know, another viable, you know, Meg Moulton, who I talked about, uh, Meg was at our conference at Belmont Hill and she brought the message from the girls schools. We're thrilled you're finally doing this. Um, and, and, and it just took off. And every year the conference got a little bigger. You know, I think uh, I think Georgetown Prep did the next one or Landon. It might have been Landon. Um, you know, we moved it around to different boys schools and then we went international. And when we went international, there was a huge gasp. <gasps> Are people going to be able to go? I think we went to Australia and uh, they did. And and that built a, a huge conundrum of activity and excitement in Australia. And then it spread, you know, South Africa, you're, you name it. So it's. You know, England's hosted it. It's just so great to see that camaraderie and, and the commitment to doing this. John, I always, I always love, what I love about history is that um, history often teaches us about the present. And I wonder, you know, as you think through the lessons learned in those days with the challenges and opportunities boys' schools were facing then, what, what might boys' schools today learn from um, the establishment of the coalition all those all those years ago, as they face possibly in some areas of the world similar challenges and opportunities. Well, I think one of the things I find gratifying now that I'm a search consultant, I'm I'm involved in a lot of different schools, right? Um, and we work internationally as well as domestically. Um, is the fact that very 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 few boys' schools have gone co-ed since we established the organization. I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, boarding and day schools have remained. And, and I think a lot of that is done to the fact that now they're authentic. They, there's reasons for their existence and they have an international coalition to support that that's backed up by research. I think the research that the coalition is doing now is really exciting and really important for all educators, not just boys boys. And then just as we as we close this conversation, John, I'd love I'd love for you to share some words of encouragement for current leaders and faculty in boys schools uh, around the world. What could your message of encouragement be for them? Well keep doing what you do and, and do it really well and 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 maintain the research. Because when you can show research about why things work for boys, uh, it's not only going to make boys' schools stronger, it's going to make all schools stronger. And get that word out. You know, find ways in which to do it. With the electronic age that we have now, it's not hard to do. And I think the coalition can really emphasize the critical importance of relationship building, mentoring, um, role modeling. I don't, I, I stay away from heroes. But I think role models for boys and for girls are so important. And, and I think that's critically important. I can't tell you the number of men that I've encountered in my world who look back on their education and what do they think and remember? It's not their friends. They remember a teacher. It's true for me. And I had two of them. And I, you know, unfortunately, I ended up doing the eulogies for both of them. But I maintained a friendship with them for years. My dear friend, Michael Thompson, who's written a lot about boys and 
was a colleague of mine at Belmont Hill. Michael will talk about the importance of, of children in school having one friend. I can tell you friends are really important in child development, but so is a mentor. As an adult mentor or an older student that they can look up to, ask for advice, admire, um, replicate uh, portions of their behavior or character. Really important. Well, John, it's fascinating to speak to you. And I think just thank you so much for being a leading and guiding light in those early years in the establishment of the organization. Because, you know, without those initial conversations, who knows where boys' education would be now? Who knows whether or not an organization like this would exist? An organization that really is a huge encouragement and resource to many, many educators in boys' schools around the world. So thank you so much. And thank you for your time today, too. Well, thank you, Bruce. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. I, um, you know, it's, I, I haven't seen the comprehensive history of the organization before, so it's really great to be included in it. Thank you.